Special Needs Awareness Sunday, spoken by Sid Charles. It is so good to be here this morning with you all. I was supposed to be here last year, um, but unfortunately, um, it's when my husband got sick and I was not able to be here. I do work for Johnny and Friends. I thought I'd just tell you a little bit about Johnny and Friends. We do have family retreats. We have three locally for families. Actually, I'm wrong. We have four. We're starting a fourth one this week. Um, it's in the Pocono Mountains, only about an hour and a half from here. So if you have a, a family um, that you know that would love to be part, we actually have openings. So it's a week. It's a five-day um, getaway for the whole family unit, which is very exciting. We also have a warrior getaway for um, warriors and their families who have come home. Most of them have the hidden disabilities, PTSD. Johnny and Friends does a lot of work um, globally as well. We have a program called Wheels for the World, which is where we collect wheelchairs. We're here in America, we would throw them away. But we say, don't do that, we'll take them. Um, next week, we have a tractor trailer coming to unload our storage unit. Those chairs then go to a prison. We have six prisons around the country where they're refurbed like new and they're sent to developing countries with therapeutic teams. So I have a lot of information about Johnny and Friends um, out on a table out there. Feel free to stop by, check it out, and see what we're all about. You know, for the past 30 years, I have worked full-time in ministry. And um, during those times, I planned over 60 banquets and many, many, many other events. Planning a banquet involved making sure every detail was covered, selecting the perfect menu, the seating arrangements, the decorations, detailed time frames. And most of the banquets I planned were for a targeted audience. Honestly, it was mainly an audience that could donate to the ministry I'm working for. When the event unfolded, it gave me incredible pleasure to see all the details come together. But today, I want to tell you about another kind of banquet. A banquet where the details are not as important. A banquet that becomes a community. A banquet that becomes a place of belonging. And honestly, a banquet that has no end. Today, come with me. In Luke 14, it says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you back. So you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Who are you inviting to your banquets? Not just special dinners, but what about your family events, picnics, Easter dinner, Thanksgiving, Christmas? How are we involving people who are marginalized, people who are broken, into our personal lives and into the life of our church family? Are we creating a place a belonging? Are we creating a community? Approximately one billion people around the world are affected by disability. 18% of Americans have a disability. About 24% of Americans are affected by disability. One in 44 children are diagnosed with autism, and it's four times more prevalent in boys than girls. 
And did you know that people with disabilities are the most marginalized and underemployed people group globally? Let me say that again. People with disabilities are the most marginalized, underemployed, and undereducated people group globally. Unfortunately, the church community also has struggled in this area, and I am thrilled to have met Shirley about five years ago and learn that you have a pastor for disability ministry at this church. It's amazing. And 11% of churches have an active disability ministry, according to a study that Johnny and Friends did a few years ago. 89% do not have a disability ministry. And approximately 90% of individuals with a significant disability are unchurched. I love international ministries, and I understand the need for it. But if we heard of a country where 90% of that country is unchurched, we would be sending teams over there. We'd be sending missions teams over there. But right here in Englewood, in Bergen County, and surrounding areas here, you have a people group that is unreached and unchurched. At Johnny and Friends, we've come up with a definition that we think an irresistible church should be for people affected by disability. It's an authentic community built on the hope of Christ that compels people affected by disability to fully belong. Let me flush that out for you a little bit. It's an authentic community. I really believe that no one can sniff out if something is not authentic more than people affected by disability because they have been wounded so many times, built on the hope of Christ. As a family affected by disability, that's where our hope is. It's in Christ. That compels people affected by disability. Compel means that Metro Church is so welcoming and so known in the community that people with disabilities honestly can't stay away. They want to be here. They want to be part of it. But notice it didn't say the person with the disability. It said people affected by disability. My husband had a significant disability. I didn't have one, but I was affected. My son was affected because his father had one. But how do we do that? How do we actually become an irresistible church for people affected by disability? Let's take a look at a few ways. I love this scripture. It says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was homeless, you gave me a room. When I was shivering, you gave me clothes. When I was sick, you stopped to visit me. And when I was in prison, you came to visit me. I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me you did it too. Individuals and families affected by disability are often overlooked. Not intentionally, but overlooked. We live in an incredibly fast-paced society. Everything happens so quickly. We move quickly. We respond quickly. We want responses quickly. What do you mean you didn't respond to my text in five minutes? It's quick. Everything moves so quick nowadays. So many times people affected by disability can't keep up. Maybe they have a physical disability and they have cerebral palsy and they walk with crutches and they're slower. Maybe they use a motorized wheelchair and they have to think through, can we get in the building? They can't keep up. Maybe it's a child on the spectrum 
and they need routine to function well, and they need to move at a certain pace. Maybe it's an adult with an intellectual disability that just can't quite keep up with the young adult group. Maybe it's a single mom, so overwhelmed with the three children she has, one with a significant disability, and she can't keep up. I honestly believe that we have to earn the right to share the gospel. If we aren't willing to give a cup of cold water, if we aren't willing to slow down so that people affected by disability can truly be engaged in our world, then be careful to share Jesus with them because if you can't be Jesus to them, be careful. I've also learned that disability ministry is definitely a family affair. This is my beautiful family, my son, his wife, and my incredible husband. When my husband was 20, Jess was trimming a tree on his family farm. He fell 12 feet and became a C5-6 quadriplegic. Basically, that means he was paralyzed from about here down. He could put a shaver in his hand and he could shave himself. He knew how to do lots of things with spasms that he had. He could feed himself, but he needed a lot of help with most of his um, daily living skills. But he drove a van, pushed forward for gas, back for brake, side to side for steering. It was called zero effort. It was scary for me. He didn't let his disability stop him. We literally duct taped him into a parasail one time so he could buzz his family's farm. But during his 39 years of being a quad, he was actually more active than many able-bodied individuals. He never complained. I can honestly say I was with him almost 32 years. He never, ever complained. He was grateful for everything that he had. He worked full time. He was an amazing husband, an incredible father. He cared deeply for the environment, loved sports, loved nature, and he embraced everyone he met. He did not waste his quadriplegia. He used it for good but his faith was his driving force. But honestly, our lives were harder. They were, but they were not worse. Let me say that again. Our lives were harder because of my husband's disability, but they were not worse. And they weren't worse because we had a community and a church that supported us. Many families don't have that who are affected by disability. I'm thrilled that churches are starting more and more to have disability ministries on Sunday mornings. They're providing buddy programs. It's wonderful. But my concern is what happens to families who attend a local church between noon on Sunday or 1 o'clock and 9 a.m. the next Sunday morning? We can make ourselves look pretty good on a Sunday morning. There were some Sundays where I would say to my husband, I think some Sunday, I'm just gonna push you out of your wheelchair at church. You're gonna lay on the aisle, and then everybody's gonna go, wow, Jesse is really disabled. He can't get up because we made ourselves look so good on Sunday mornings. I think people thought that Jesse got up on a Sunday morning, got out of bed, took his own shower, got dressed, and then sat in his motorized wheelchair. They didn't realize it was a process that took two of us about an hour to make that happen. We look good. And so the messiness of life happens during the week. That's when 
the meltdowns happen and the kiddo doesn't want to get on the bus. That's when the wheelchairs break. That's when the aide doesn't show up for the third day in the row. It's when the friends aren't calling. It's when that teenager who has autism is crying because again, they weren't invited to the party. How can we as a church help with this messiness? The one word that I hear most in the disability community is isolation. Remember in March, 2020, when the world shut down. We were isolated. Remember that feeling like, oh my word, we can't even go to church. We didn't even go to the store. Our kids were home. We were isolated. That is how families affected by disability feel most of the time. They feel isolated. As a family affected by disability, we experienced that. We experienced some of the feelings of isolation. Even though my husband and I led an incredibly full life, there were still moments where we experienced great isolation. We couldn't travel like our friends who were also empty nesters. There were times where there'd be events in homes of people at our church and we weren't invited because they were fearful. Maybe Jesse's wheelchair won't fit in the door. Jesse might scratch something. Honestly, people do think that. What if he needs to use the bathroom? Or the weekend beach trip. Sib, why don't you and Jesse come down to our beach house for the weekend? You know what? It's too hard. It's too hard to go there just for a weekend. It's just too hard. For some families, even going to church is just too hard. Families have told me, we feel so isolated from friends, separate from family, and I've also heard many times, which is heartbreaking, we feel so isolated from our church. They don't understand. Another piece of the puzzle for families affected by disability is grief. Families affected by disability experience what I call chronic grief. Their grief doesn't come in a nice 10-step package, and honestly, I'm on a significant grief journey and it never comes in a nice 10-step package. And if you're reading a book that says there, set the book aside, actually just throw it away. It's not true. Parents grieve on their child's birthday. I had one mom say, my child's birthday is the hardest day of the year because every year it's a reminder my child is not like his peers. They grieve when their children turn 13 and they're not like other teenagers. They grieve when their child turns 16 and they're not getting the driver's license. I've even had parents tell me, I just wish my child could make bad choices when they turn 21. They can't even do that. Grief, grief and loss. Families also have broken dreams that they have to work through. The dream of their child, who they thought would go to a prestigious college, and now they're just hoping and praying they can find a job anywhere. Many families affected by disability are afraid to express their feelings of grief, loss, sadness. They're fearful of people saying, but you are so special because God chose you to be this child's parent. Others have it so much worse than you. God must have a great plan for your life. These are all true statements, but some families affected by disability aren't emotionally 
are spiritually ready to hear those statements. They want someone who's going to sit with them, weep with them, maybe be silent with them, even allow them to be angry at God for a brief moment. Because even in their anger, they're acknowledging his presence. You cannot be angry at someone that does not exist. So how can churches build a community of radical belonging for people affected by disability? Is Metro Church a safe haven? A place where families affected by disability can begin to heal a bit from their journey of grief and loss, where they can experience community. To fully belong, as that definition said, is much more than coming in the front door. It means being fully involved in the life of the church, using their gifts. I love 1 Corinthians 12, a very familiar passage, and the pastor read a few verses from there this morning. But it says, because the hand can't say, I'm not a foot, I no longer belong to the body. Would it, for that reason, not stop being part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. As it is, there are many parts but one body. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. What this scripture is saying to people affected by disability, it's saying we need you. We need you. We are not whole. We are not complete without you. We need people affected by disability as much or more than they need us. That's what fully belonging is. Once we realize that, that we need them, we desperately need them. Fully belonging means that they're no longer strangers in our congregation. They're our friends. We're using their gifts. They're serving in our churches. I had one mom call me a while ago and she was devastated. She was an incredible worship leader at their church and then they had a child born with significant disability and no one in the church was willing to learn the care of this child. So she could no longer serve on the worship team. If we aren't fully including people with disabilities in our congregations, we are missing a whole group of spiritual gifts. The body is not whole and complete. Fully belonging is involving people affected by disability, not just in the life of the church, but in extracurricular activity of the church. Are we involving them in our personal lives? It is coming alongside of them in very practical and holistic ways. I love this graphic. I know it's a little hard to see, but the first one is exclusion. Not there. Then there's segregation, where they're there, but they're on the outside. Then there's integration, where they're there, but maybe it's a separate Sunday school class, or, well, we have a great thing for them. 
And then there's inclusion, where they're included in and you see them sparse, and then there's belonging. You can't tell where one starts and the other stops, and they're even on the outside of the circle. That's belonging. Just because you're included in something doesn't mean you belong. Let me say that again. Just because you're included doesn't mean you belong. It means they're actually truly part of our community. I read that beginning part of Luke 14, and I love this last part of the chapter. It says, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in, go out quickly, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. It's not a choice. The pastor said it beautifully. It's a mandate. Go out. Find them. Bring them in. There are not many places in Scripture where Jesus is very specific and says who to go out and bring them in. He's saying go bring in the marginalized. Bring in the broken. Bring in the people with disabilities. Bring in the families affected by disability. Bring them in. We are called to go out make them come in and invite them to our banquet and create a community and most important, a place of belonging. I love this quote by John Swinton. It says, to be included, you must simply be there. But to belong, you must be missed. Are we missing people affected by disability? Are we missing them? So let's make beautiful banquets together. Let's make banquets in our churches and in our communities where individuals and families affected by disability can find a place of belonging. The banquet might be taking a mom of a kiddo out for coffee. And you've got plenty of Starbucks here. Everywhere I look, there's a Starbucks. It might be mulching someone's yard this spring. It might be making flower pots for the mom who's a single mom who likes pretty things but has no time. That's a banquet. It might be taking a sibling of someone who has a brother or sister with a disability into New York City for a fun day. It might be giving respite to parents so they can go out and have dinner together. And the list could go on and on how you want to make a banquet. Most important, we don't only want them to be part of our banquets here on earth, but we want them to be part of the eternal banquet where they will receive new bodies, clear minds, perfect speech, even though I believe their speech is perfect now, and I believe my husband was whole and complete here on earth, absolutely as he was but we want them to fully belong. It's all about kingdom building, inviting them to unique banquets, involving them in our lives in very practical ways. I'd like to close with a story about a very, very unique banquet, about a very unique place of belonging. It's called the Gift of the Goose. So my husband, Jess, before his accident, did sports, was very active in sports, soccer, basketball, worked on his family farm, 
He used to tell me how he'd pick up like a 200-pound pig and just heave it. I don't know why, but they did. Um, can you tell I did not grow up on a farm? I lived in North Jersey, moved to Lancaster when I met my husband. But he did some hunting. And this story starts actually at a Little League baseball game that our son was playing at. And there was a dad whose son was also playing who went to our church. And he said to Jess, he said, Jess, have you ever thought about goose hunting? And Jesse goes, well, no, Ken, I, I don't know how I would do that. And Ken said, well, I'm a goose caller. I personally had no idea what a goose caller was. It's actually men or women who actually, they even go to competitions for this. It's a little whistle, and you blow it, and you call in geese for people to hunt. He said, I'm a goose caller. And he said, would you ever be interested in hunting? And Jesse said, well, yeah, but I don't know how that would happen. That's all he needed to say to this man. And this man went and talked to two, three, four other men from our church. A few days later, they came and they said, hey, Jess, come out, come outside. They were at our house. He said, we have a truck out here. I want to show you something. And I always thought a blind was something that goes up and down. I had no idea that a blind is also something that you make and you sit in in a field that hides you from the geese that you call in. So they made a blind, and usually it's just made with corn fodder. And this blind was actually made with PVC pipe and um, burlap, and it was big. It was big a big blind, and they said, Jesse, we made you a blind to go goose hunting. And Jesse said, that's incredible, but how am I gonna hunt? And they said, we're working on that. They contacted an engineer from our church, and they helped Jesse purchase a gun, and the gun would mound on his wheelchair. They took the, the armrest off and put a separate mound in, and it made it so the gun could go up in the air and it could go back and forth like this. But remember, my husband's paralyzed, his fingers do not work. This engineer designed something that looked like a very large clothespin that Jesse would put in his mouth, he would bite down, and that would trigger the gun. And they went hunting. First time, no goose. Second time, no goose. Third time, remember it was just a few days before Christmas, and I looked down, my phone was ringing, and it was the man that Jesse went hunting with, and my first thought was, oh dear Lord, please let him have not shot himself. And I hear a man going like this, Jesse got a goose. Jesse got a goose. Jesse got a goose. Jesse got a goose. And then he's crying, and he said, Jesse got a goose. And he said, Sib, I have never known what my gifts were. Do you think this is a gift? I said, 100% yes. What happened was they gave my husband a place of belonging. They made that goose blind big enough if my son wanted to hunt with them. They made it big enough that they could put a little heater in to keep him warm. They made it big enough that when my son didn't want to hunt, other men were in there hunting with him, and these men became a community. They became an incredible community. And when my husband passed away last April, a few of these men spoke at his memorial service and also to my son and I, and they said how much my husband taught them about Christ. But they said it was two ways. We were with him too. They became a community in that goose blind. They became a place of belonging, and 10 years after that first goose, they were still good friends. But you know what truly happened in that goose blind? That was church. 
That was church. Church happened in that goose blind. Where are we making church happen for people affected by disability? Where are we making banquets and inviting them to? Because remember, we are not complete without them. To be included, you must simply be there. But to belong, you must be missed. Please don't miss people affected by disability. Amen. Thanks, Sib, for that great message. Thank you. Um, let's respond to this. Let's bow our heads for a moment. And uh, I don't know how far away you are from knowing anyone with some level of disability, but in the first service, I really sensed that there were people who even had family members, maybe distant relatives, where you do know that they have disabilities. And maybe it's been hard even maybe to, even to listen to this because you haven't really been church for them. Maybe you've never created a banquet type of atmosphere where they felt like they can be included, not just to be a part of this, but to fully belong. I have family members, uh, my sister, my nephew, who are to say who have disabilities. And so maybe this will hit home to you, but I don't know how God will encourage you, but it's important that we respond, that we don't just listen to a sermon, but that we respond to maybe how the Holy Spirit may want to guide and direct us. I'm gonna give you just a few moments to engage with God. Let me speak to you, and then I'll just pray for us. Let's go to him. is God your kingdom is so upside down from this world it's unlike anything else throughout the gospels you pursue those on the fringe you pursue those people whom often the world would not even give a time of day you pursue those where even religious leaders would say that they are born that way because they're sinners it's so upside down your kingdom and God, forgive us because we've gotten it wrong in our own lives. And sometimes we're the ones who are so quick to judge. And how we don't have this tolerance for discomfort. And so we end up judging. Or we stay distant to those you love. And so God, I pray that you would move our church. And God, that we would want to get proximate to those who have disabilities in our families, in this church family, and in this world. And I pray, God, that as we stare into the eyes of humility, that we would have this eerie awareness that you're staring right back at us. Help us to meet Jesus through those whom this world would call the least, the last, and the lost. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.